Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Earthquake, fire, volcanic eruptions. Will the world be engulfed in the war of Armageddon? Will our TV screens be filled with images of conflict, strife, and famine? Will there be an unprecedented world financial collapse? Or possibly a global international conflict? By contrast, we read the Gospels and we see the love of Christ in ministry and dying for a lost world. And it is difficult to harmonize these seven last plagues that Revelation speaks of with the love of God. The seven last plagues that are going to be poured out are, are not pleasant plagues. And many people wonder, how can a loving God, is, can you harmonize a loving God that would also pour out these plagues upon the face of the earth? How can a loving God afflict people with sores and turn rivers into blood? And so we're going to explore that very question today, and I hope that we get the answers from the Bible, and every meeting that we've had, our theme is, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not, it's not for me. And I think that's why we're all here. We want to hear what the Bible has to say, amen? And so we're going to do just that. We're going to allow the Bible to speak as we go through what the Bible says, especially in the book of Revelation, in regards to these questions. And so we're going to take a look at question number one. And question number one says, Will God give a clear warning to the world before the seven last plagues are poured out upon the earth? And so, you know, we, we should expect that if these cataclysmic events are coming, that God would give a clear warning first, yes or no? Amen, yes. yes. God's not going to just make it happen without giving a foreknowledge of it. And that's why prophecy is so important, because prophecy gives us that foreknowledge so that we know what's coming and we prepare and act upon what we know from prophecy. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, what is this clear warning message to the world before the seven last plagues are poured out? So we know that before God allows these seven last plagues to be unleashed upon the world as we know it, God does indeed have a last day message that is to go out to the world to prepare people for what's to come. If you look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, it's page 1183 in your table Bibles. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, page 1183. And I would like to invite you to follow along because this is a very important chapter in the book of Revelation because it contains the three angels' messages. These messages are the most important messages that must go out into the whole world in preparation for Jesus' second coming. And so, just follow along with me and soon we're going to have people take turns reading. But I just want to have us follow along 
here, Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, which says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so notice that God's lasting message flies to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It's a universal message. God in love sends a message of salvation, the gospel to every person on planet Earth. That includes you and me this morning. And it goes further on to say, Say with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Notice that this last message leads men and women everywhere to worship who? To worship the one and only God. Isn't that right? The Creator God. Because we see that the language in which this message speaks is very reminiscent of Genesis, where it talks about how God created everything, and God is the Creator, and the Creator has also, upon creating everything in six literal days, we see that He also left us a symbol at the end of that creation week. And what is that symbol that we worship the Creator? We see that that symbol is the seventh-day Sabbath. It's the Bible Sabbath. And here is a call to all humanity in the judgment hour to worship the Creator, remembering the memorial of His creation, namely the Sabbath. And so today, we are so glad that you're here today because today is a Sabbath and you are here to hear this presentation. And we see that the Sabbath... The seventh day is the day that God has instituted as a special memorial of His creation. And so we see that this is what God is calling all humanity to take heed to and to take note of as expressed in the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So, the worship that God is calling us all to is the worship of the Sabbath day, worship on the Sabbath day, because that day points to Jesus, points to God as our Creator. Question number two: What counterfeit worship will be enforced? We see in Revelation chapter fourteen, same chapter. We're going to jump up, jump to verse nine, verse nine and ten. What counterfeit worship will be enforced? That's page 1184 in your Bibles. And we're going to read this together. It says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, what is this talking about? We see that very clearly. He's talking about the mark of the beast. And I hope that you come this evening at 7 o'clock as we go into that in more detail, the mark of the beast. You don't want to miss that. But we see that this uh, third angel is giving a message that's making a distinction between who we could be worshipping. We could be either worshipping the Creator in verse 7 of chapter 14, or we could be worshipping the beast, which is in verse 9 of that same chapter. There's two types of worship. One is true, worshiping of the Creator. One is false, worshiping of the beast. 
And we see that Revelation predicts a final conflict over true and false worship. The great conflict in the last days of Earth's history is not a struggle that's going to take place somewhere in the Middle East. It is not a struggle in Jerusalem. The battleground of where this conflict takes place, my friends, is in the mind. Every human being will have a conflict in the battlegrounds in their mind. The great conflict in the last days of Earth's history is a struggle in the human mind, a great battle for the soul. It revolves around the very issue of worship. The great battle in Revelation is a battle between Christ and Satan, between truth and error, and it's all competing for your mind. And so we see that this issue of worship is a test of loyalty. It's a battle between Christ and Satan for your loyalty. It's a battle between Christ and Satan for your allegiance. It's a battle between Christ and Satan for our worship. And this is what the final battle of Armageddon is ultimately about. We see that it is similar to the crisis in Daniel chapter 3, where the three Hebrew worthies, Daniel's three friends, they faced a crisis when King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, commanded the worship of the image that he set up. And he said, worship this image or else you will die. And Daniel and his three friends, well, not Daniel, he wasn't there. Daniel's three friends had to choose between following a substitute counterfeit uh, of divine truth or boldly declaring their allegiance to God to suffer the wrath of the king. And friends, the same test will come again in the future for God's people. The same test will come again in these last days. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, page 1184, it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So very clearly, in the start of chapter 15, we see a picture of seven angels. These seven angels have seven last plagues that they're going to pour out upon earth. Now, has this happened yet? No, it has not happened yet, but it is to happen. It is yet to happen. But we see that the wrath of God is being poured out as these seven last plagues are being poured out. So the question is, what is God's wrath? Is God's wrath his anger? Well, let's take a look at Revelation 18. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 and 5. You see in page 1186, Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 and 5, it says here, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. And for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So what is God's wrath? God's wrath is not his anger at sinners. It is his judgment upon sin. Right? So the sins and their iniquities have reached up to heaven. And God has to somehow, someday address sin once and for all. Friends, God's love is everlasting. When people reject the warning message, 
and began to persecute God's people, threatening them with death if they do not follow the popular religious movement. The wrath of God, His judgment on sin, falls upon them. Wind, rain, fire, storm, the judgments of God fall on this world. And question number four says, what is the sequence of these last day events? Well, let's read them. Uh, I have them up here uh, for the sake of time. You see that first of all, we know that the worldwide preaching of the gospel is going to go out to all the world. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all nations for a witness, and then shall the end come. Right? So we see that the worldwide preaching of the gospel is part of that uh, condition of this taking place. We see the second thing, all humanity makes a final, eternal choice. All humanity. You and I and every person on planet Earth will make a final choice. And it's going to have eternal results. We see number three, the mark of the beast is enforced in a final conflict over worship. So we're going to talk about that tonight. So please come as we go over the mark of the beast and we'll see how that's enforced and what all that entails. Uh, so don't miss that. But we see that somewhere down the line, prophecy tells us that the mark of the beast will be enforced and it's going to be over worship, the very issue of worship. Number four, God's loyal people lovingly obey Him. God will have a people in these last days, in the closing chapters of Earth's history, that will be loyal to Him to the very end. They will say, we rather obey God rather than men. We rather uh, die than sin against God. And that's what God's people will be represented as doing. We see the seven last plagues are then poured out upon this earth. And as that is done, we see that Ultimately, Christ will deliver his people. Amen. That's all that in a panoramic overview of what, how these events will transpire. So the gospel is preached, all humanity makes a choice, and then all the other events that follow after that, and leads to finally Christ delivering his people. Question number five. What must take place before the seven plagues are unleashed? You see... What is the sequence of these last day events? We just saw them. But also, what, will, what must take place before these seven plagues are unleashed? And we just learned that it's not happened yet. It's yet to happen. So Revelation chapter 15, verse 8, uh, page 1184, it says, No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, some of you may wonder, what does that mean? If you, have, uh, if you haven't come to our past meetings, we learned that Jesus, at this very moment, is doing a very important work right now. And do you know what work that is? He is in heaven as our high priest, Hebrews tells us. He is our mediator, he is our intercessor, and he is working as our high priest. And we see that Jesus had been faithfully involved in his final work in the heavenly sanctuary. And in completion of his final work, Jesus makes a decree. 
he makes a final verdict. And what is that verdict? You could find that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. Jesus will make this de declaration. He will say, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So we see very clearly how many classes were there, will there be at the very end when Jesus finishes his work of interceding, the work of judgment up in the heavenly sanctuary. How many groups? There's only two groups. We see the righteous or the unrighteous. The holy or the unholy. The pure or the impure. In other words, friends, there is no middle ground. Sometimes people today kind of waver. They kind of sit on the fence and they kind of have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, delaying to make that choice. But friends, we see that the final crisis that is coming upon the world will lead men and women to make one of two decisions. Completely for Christ or completely against Christ. And friends, if some of you will say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit, so I'm not really choosing the devil, I'm not choosing Christ, but I'm just sitting on the fence. When you don't choose Christ, you, by default, are against Christ. There is no neutrality. At the very end time is two polarized groups that are very distinct, and that is going to be determined when Christ finishes his work in the heavenly sanctuary. Once that work is over, probation is closed for the human race, and every one of us will fit in one of these two camps. Friends, I pray that we will be in the camp under the, under the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. What do you say? Let us give our hearts completely to him. Let us give our complete allegiance and loyalty to him and him alone. Amen? And the final decree will go out to the ends of the earth. Men and women will either be saved or lost as this door of probation will finally close. And when it closes, friends, the seven last plagues will be poured out. And Jesus will come to deliver his people. Revelation chapter 60, verse 1, page 1185. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And this takes place after Jesus finishes, after Jesus completes his work of interceding. Friends, this has not yet happened. Jesus is still interceding for you and for me right now. Let us not throw caution to the wind. Let us not think that we have all the time in the world. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make that choice. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. We must make that choice in the present time. And so we see question number six. Do God's people go through the tribulation? You know, there's a lot of talk there where some people say, Oh, you know, I believe that... Uh, God will take some people before the tribulation happens so we don't have to go through the tribulation. But is that true? Is that biblical? Are God's people delivered before this time of trouble? Or do they live through it under the protecting hand of God? These plagues 
are called the seven last plagues. Were there plagues before this anywhere in the Bible? Yes. Similar to this. Yes. The Bible tells us the story of the plagues that fell on Egypt. That's right. You remember the story in Exodus? The Israelites were protected by God during the plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. The Israelites lived through the plagues, didn't they? They were in Egypt as the plagues fell. Yes or no? Yes. yes. And they were delivered at the end from these plagues. And just as the Israelites were present through the plague and delivered at the end of the plagues, so God's people are present but protected through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues. Likewise, in Daniel's time, the Hebrew worthy said, We will not bow down to the counterfeit image and accept the beast's power. And by faith, they went into the flames. Did they not? They said, We'd rather die than yield our faith. And God's people went through the first place in Egypt and were preserved. The three Hebrew worthies went through Nebuchadnezzar's fire and they were preserved. Notice what Revelation says of those who are redeemed and stand with Christ in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, page 1179. Page 1179, Revelation 7, 14 says, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. What do these people come out of? Great tribulation. It is a multitude that is so large that you cannot number them, the Bible tells us. And these people had faith. They hung on when all around them there were things crumbling, financial collapse, all nature in turmoil, and also, furthermore, on top of that, being persecuted by God's enemies. And yet, their faith was sustained throughout that time. Question number seven. The seven plagues are literal judgments of God. But what does each plague represent? Okay, now, these are literal plagues, mind you. It's not symbolic. But there's a, a deep meaning behind these plagues to help us understand why is God giving these plagues on the face of the earth. So let's read about them. The seven last plagues. And we see that the first plague that the Bible tells us, and this is outlined in Revelation chapter 16. So if you want to look into this more in depth, you can read it on your own. But for the sake of time, we're just going to go over it quickly. And if you have further questions, I'm available to talk about that even more. But we see that the first plague is uh, grievous sores from head to toe. And the Bible describes them this way. In Revelation 16, 2, it says that it was a foul and loathsome sore. Those who enforce the mark of the beast say, unless you take the mark of the beast... We are going to physically afflict you. They say, if you want to be physically protected, you must take the mark of the beast. And the first plague of God's judgment is a physical affliction against the enemies of God. Sores from head to toe. What those who promote the mark of the beast promise, they themselves cannot deliver. The first plague of sores has a much deeper message than some have ever understood. Do you know what the first plague is saying? The first plague is saying that there is no physical security outside 
of Christ. At a time where church and state unite, at a time where pressure is applied to God's people, the authorities declare that they're going to physically oppress you unless you receive the mark of the beast, but it is those who receive the mark of the beast who are physically afflicted by the plagues. Jesus is our only protector. Listen to his promise for his people found in Psalms 46, 1 and 2. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Why don't we fear when there are terrible calamities afflicting the physical bodies of men and women and natural disasters afflicting the earth? Because God is our refuge and strength. All our physical security is in who? Is in Christ. And so we see that that is the message that God is giving against the enemies of God. Those who were afflicting his people, God afflicts them. Now, the second plague, the sea turns to blood. The Bible says of the second plague, Revelation 16, 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Now, can you possibly imagine what would happen if everything like this occurred? If the sea actually became like blood? How much of the earth is covered by water? About 70%, is that right? Something like that? Can you imagine if 70% of the earth's water turned to blood? That's going to be quite a prominent thing that everyone will notice, don't you think? Uh, what would that do to every living thing in the sea if the water was turned to blood? It would kill every living thing in the sea, right? And what would it do to, say, international shipping? What about the fishing industry? Forget about it, right? What about the billions of dollars in tourist industry? Right? It would destroy the economy of the world. And those who are enforcing the mark of the beast say that they control whether you buy or sell. They all say economic security is in the beast power. What does the second plague say, though? It tells us, when the second plague hits the earth, it tells everyone on earth that all economic security is in Christ. Look at the third plague. It also has a message about Christ. The third plague is when the rivers turn to blood. Revelation 16, verse 4, it says, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they too became blood. And why did God do that? Why do the rivers and springs become blood? Well, you see that water is a symbol of life in the Bible. And when we see that this is taking place, Revelation 16, verse 5 and 6, it says, I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. So the enforcers of the mark of the beast say, if you want your life to be preserved, take the mark of the beast. And they can't deliver because the rivers and the fountains of water turn to blood, showing that 
All of our life is in Christ. At the end time, Christ is our only hope for physical security. Christ is our only hope for economic security. Christ is the only one that can preserve our lives. And the Bible promise for Christ's people is found during this time. How are, we, how are we going to survive when all these plagues hit? Are God's people going to be affected by them? We see in Isaiah 33, 16, it tells us that for God's people, bread will be given him, his water will be sure. When the rivers and the fountains of water are turned to blood, and thirst and starvation spread throughout the earth, God sustains his people with provision. The fourth plague, scorching sun. It says that the sun scorches men, but notice how the Bible puts it. It says in Revelation 16, 8 and 9, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. So we see that the plagues reveal that they, these people, enemies of God, have trusted the wrong sources. You see that in the fourth plague, the sun scorches them. Throughout the centuries, there have been a conflict over sun worship. And in the final days, there will be a conflict over worshiping the Creator on the Sabbath and on the sun's day. And so we see that the fourth plague tells us that all true worship is in Christ. Worship the Creator, not the creation. And don't accept the counterfeit system of worship. All true worship is in Christ. And Psalms chapter 91, verse 1 through 3, tells us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. God has a group of people who trust Him for physical security. God has a group of people who trust Him for economic security. God has a group of people who will trust Him with their own lives. God has a group of people who trust Him for all their worship. And if He says, remember the Sabbath day, they take heed to it and remember it and keep it. You see, the next plague, the plague of darkness. And this plague is a very interesting plague because it also hits straight at the headquarters of evil. Because we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. You see, friends, light in the Bible is a symbol of truth, spiritual knowledge, and wisdom. They have been looking to the beast for light and truth, but the kingdom, the beast's kingdom is filled with darkness. This literal darkness on the seat of the beast is an appeal to you and me that all light is only in Christ. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus, speaking of himself, even said, I am the light of the world. If you want physical security, you must come to Christ. 
If you want economic security, you must come to Christ. If you want your life to be preserved, you must come to Christ. If you want true worship, come to Christ. If you want truth and not falsehood, if you want light and not darkness, turn away from any system that teaches darkness and come to Christ. Literal plagues, but yet they reveal deeper spiritual truths. Revelation 16, verse 11, page 1185, says, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. You would think that those rebelling against God when afflicted by the sores, by the pain, by the bloody water, by the scorching and the darkness, you would think that they would fall down and repent and plead for forgiveness when those things are happening. But the plagues show us very clearly, friends, that it is extremely dangerous to turn from any teaching of God's Word that you know, that you're conscious of. When truth stares at you straight in the face, you must accept and embrace it. Amen? If you, do that, if you don't do that, you will be gradually led into darkness. One step away from Christ leads to another, and then still another. One compromise of truth leads to another compromise of truth and makes it easier to compromise the next time and the next time after that. One compromise of God's Word leads to another compromise, and the plagues warn us to look away from all that is contrary to the Word of God, even if it's a huge religious conglomerate to look to God's work for light. God's word for light. I'm sorry. And we see, finally, after one, two, three, four, five, we see number six. The sixth plague, Armageddon. What is Armageddon? Let's look at the word first and see what it means. We see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. They made a lot of movies on Armageddon, and uh, you know they, they put on this whole Hollywood production of what it may look like. But what does the Bible tell us Armageddon is? If you go to Revelation 16, verse 12, page 1185, it tells us what happens. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. So what's taking place here? An angel pours out a vial, and as he pours out the vial, the river Euphrates dries up. This is very reminiscent of the story of how Babylon fell. When Babylon fell, it was ingenious how king, uh, king of, the king of Persia, Cyrus, actually found a way to, to infiltrate that city. They lowered the, the riverbank of the Euphrates because the river Euphrates flowed right through the city of Babylon, you see. And so they said, let's just divert the water channel so that the water, will, water level will go down and all the Persian armies went underneath through that channel into the city and took that city that very night and Babylon fell. And so this similar picture is being mentioned here in the sixth plague. The six angels pouring out, pouring out this veil, this, this, this vial, 
and the river Euphrates dries up for the kings of the east. And we see what takes place. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. What are these frogs that are coming out of these, the mouth of these three people? The beast, dragon, and false prophet. We see the Bible tells us, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to them to gather to that great to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And they gathered them together to the place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. So, question number eight, what is Armageddon? And what does it mean? Well, um, I actually uh, went to the actual site called Megiddo. It was actually uh, pretty interesting. Uh, but the word Armageddon comes from the Hebrew root words Har and Megiddo, which means mountain of slaughter. Right? So literally translated, Armageddon means mountain of slaughter. In the book of Judges, when God's people were surrounded and doom seemed certain, God miraculously delivered them. And the battle of Armageddon is not some battle somewhere on earth, as these Hollywood productions make it out to be. Although there will be a physical conflict leading up to it, but it is the final conquest of Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven over the powers of hell and wickedness. This is earth's final war, the final battle that will take place. And number nine, what is God's promise to his people during this time of tribulation? Now I know that the Bible tells us we're going to live through that time, during the times that the plagues fall, and there's fear about that. But the Bible gives us promise for us not to fear. Look at Psalms 91, verse 5 through 8, page 590. Psalms 91, verse 5 through 8, page 590. It says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. So friends, in Christ... We are secure, we are sheltered, and we are safe. In Christ, we will have a refuge during the time of trouble. In Christ, we will have a fortress. In Christ, we are protected. A thousand will fall at your right side. We need not fear. Look at what the Bible says. Are we delivered before the plagues? Certainly not. You see in Psalms 91, verse 5 through 8, continuing, it says... Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. So the plagues are the reward of rebellion. The plagues are a reward of disobedience. The plagues are a logical consequence, the natural result of a life separated from God and of a planet separated from God, forfeiting God's protection. Question number 10. What events, or what event happens next after the sixth plague is poured out? 
And notice what the Bible says in Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus speaking here. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. After six plagues, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, friends, what sense would it make to say that Christ del delivers his people before the tribulation when the Bible says that he is coming as a thief after the tribulation? It would make, make no sense at all for the Bible to say that Jesus is coming as a thief to deliver his people if he had already come as a thief before the plagues began. And during the seven last plagues, we, we see that God delivers, God protects his people. And so we see that after the sixth plague, the seventh plague for the wicked is the coming of Christ. We see that those who made Christ their refuge and strength and their security are able to withstand till the very end. He that endures to the very end shall be saved, the Bible tells us. During those seven last plagues, Jesus is all in all to them as the battle of Armageddon takes place. As this final conflict and war occurs, the wicked finally try to triumph over the righteous. But unbelievers, as they try to destroy believers, as Satan's wrath is poured out upon God's people, when everything seems hopeless for God's people, as they are literally caught in a corner, you see that Jesus comes as King of Kings, as the mighty deliverer, the seventh plague climaxes with the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven, saying, From the throne, it is done. What is done? It's done. Sorrow is over. It's done. Heartache. And war is over. Sickness and suffering are over. It is done. No more heartache. No more disappointments. No more tears. It is done. It is finished. And Revelation 16, 17, and 18 continues. As it says, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. At this time, as Jesus comes, all of earth begins to heave and, and shake. Planet earth is now being delivered from the bondage of sin. Planet earth are now, is now experiencing the birth pangs of a new world to come. And the Bible says in Revelation 16, verse 17 and 18, that every island fled away and the mountains were not found. We see this great earthquake Every mountain and island is moved out of its place. When Jesus comes, nothing can stand in his presence. All of creation as we know it will shake and tremble at its very foundations. And it says, furthermore, as Jesus comes, it says, a great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now, some people have different ideas of how much a talent weighs, some people add a little more pounds or less pounds, but each hailstone should approximately weigh, if it's a talent, about 66 pounds. So this 
is heaven's, God's chosen artillery. This hail resembles God's missiles that will bring utter destruction upon this earth. And we see that during this time, God's people are protected by Him. They found their physical security in Christ. They found their economic security in Christ. Their lives are hid in God in Christ. They have true worship in Christ. They have found Christ as the source of their light and truth. He is their refuge from war and pestilence. Although the wicked try to annihilate them, they have been faithful to the very end. And God comes down, Jesus comes down through the sky. Hailstones come down and crush the wicked. Christ comes on his throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ comes and assumes his rightful place as the master of the universe. The righteous are then caught up to meet with him in the sky. They are changed in, in, in immortality. The righteous dead are resurrected. The righteous living ones are caught up to meet him in the sky, while the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Christ is their security then, because he has been their security in times of trouble down throughout the centuries. And he can be your security today, my friends, if you let him. You see, a number of years ago, an Australian lumberman was returning to his home after working in the woods. And as he got closer to home, he smelled smoke from the horizon. And lo and behold, he discovered to his dismay that a fire had completely destroyed his farm. And as he was surveying the damage and looking through the ruins of what was left, he found the charred remains of a mother hen. And as he stood there looking at that mother hen, and looking at the charred black old rubble, in sorrow, he moved the hen's remains with his foot, only to discover that underneath that mother hen was four little chicks scattered. The mother hen gave her life to preserve the life of those four chicks. And the Christ who died for you on the cross is not going to let you go during the time of trouble. Christ that, brought, that bought you with his blood on Calvary is not going to let you go in the time of trouble. The Bible even tells us in Psalms chapter 91, verse 4, it says that he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buffler. And it goes on further to say in verse 10, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. You can trust Jesus. You can trust this Christ. You can place your hands in the hands of this Jesus. And you can flee to Jesus today and be free from your troubles. He will take you safely through the time of trouble. And he can take you safely through the time of trouble that you're going through right now. Whatever trouble that you encounter in your life in the present time, Jesus is more than enough to preserve you and help you through that time. You can flee to Jesus today when your faith is weak. He will strengthen that weak faith. He will place within your heart a deep commitment to serve him. And you have nothing to fear when your heart is one with Christ's, Christ's heart. 
If your mind is one of Christ's mind, get your eyes off the trouble and difficulty of this world and of this life and put them on Jesus. Put your physical security in Christ's hands. Get your eyes off of making money and putting off your and putting your economic security in Christ's hands, but instead put your put your hope in Him. Get your eyes off the temporary pleasures of this life and put your life in Christ's hands. Put your worship in Christ's hands. Follow Christ's truth. Put your whole life in Christ's hands because God is going to have a group of people. Not one, not two, not thousands, but the Bible says a multitude that no man can number who will find Christ as their refuge. Amen. They will find Christ as their security. They'll find Christ as their hope. And they'll come out of the great tribulation. And friends, you and I can make it. And all the demons in hell cannot take you out of Christ's hands. I want to be on Jesus' side. What about you? Would you stand with me if that's your desire? If you want to say, Lord, I want to be on your side. I want to put all my trust entirely upon you. If that is your desire today, and that's the decision that you want to make in your heart, I invite you to stand as you make that decision. I'm so glad that you're all here today. Glad to see you standing. This is testifying to the fact that you do want Christ to be your all in all. There are some people here, sitting in this very gymnasium, who have not made a decision to be baptized. And maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart to say, it's time for you to consecrate your life completely over to Him in baptism. To allow the waters of baptism to wash away your past life of sin and to have a new life in Christ. And I want to open this opportunity if there's anyone here that have been thinking of being baptized, or the Holy Spirit has been speaking to their heart, that that's a decision that you must make in preparation for His coming. And you don't want to put that off any longer. If you want to make that decision today, today can be the turning point for you. Today can be the assurance that you'll have that God will say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And God will endow you with an extra special portion of the Holy Spirit to enable you to be ready until Jesus comes. How many of you here would like to make that decision today? To say, I'd like to be baptized. There's one hand right there. God bless you, brother. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision today? To say, I would like to give my life to Christ in the waters of baptism. I would like to prepare for that day. And I want to give my life wholly and completely to Him. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision today? I want to give that opportunity for everyone and anyone. Because we don't know what will happen tomorrow, friends. We don't know how long our life will last. Now is the time to make a decision if the Holy Spirit has brought it to your attention that that's a decision that needs to be made. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision today? The young man right there. Jude, God bless you. God bless you. There's two souls. Amen. Is there anyone else that would like to make a decision for baptism? Anyone else? 
two brave souls that made that decision. You can be the next one. Who wants to be number three? Who would like to make that decision for baptism? Thanks, Lord. God bless you, sister. Amen. Amen. Three souls for the kingdom today. Can you say amen? Amen. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? That I see another young man. God bless you, young man. Brighton. God is good. Another hand there. Michael. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else that would like to make a decision for baptism? It's not too late. You can make that decision now. The Lord is calling you. The Lord is pleading with you. He has all of heaven to give to you. But only you must respond to accept it. <clears throat> is there anyone else here that would be courageous enough to say, Lord, I accept the gift of salvation that you have for me. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision today, right now? We have five people that have made that decision. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision? You raise your hand, whoever wrote, raise your hand there. Yes, I counted him. Let's praise the Lord for that. Is there anyone else? Friends, we know that Jesus is coming soon. Just look at the world around us. If you think it was bad now, it's going to get a lot more worse. But the only way that we can last, the only way that we can be preserved during that time is if we make our hope and security in Christ Jesus. Starting today, starting tonight, well, this morning. Is there anyone that would like to make that decision? Anyone else? I don't want to close that window just yet. The Lord is calling Special notes to provide them 
all that they need in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for those who have made that decision in the past that are here tonight as well, or this morning as well. And we pray that you'll please continue to bless us and help us to be faithful till you come and help our walk with you be drawn near and near to the loving Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And Lord, we ask that you please cleanse us from within. May your sanctifying presence dwell within us, banish all things and defects of character so that we can truly be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us for the rest of this day and our fellowship together. Thank you for those who came today for the first time, Lord. We pray that you please bless them, and God willing, that they can come again for tonight's presentation as well. Lord, we thank you for being such a good God, and we know that every good and perfect thing comes from you, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. If you